seated. Thank you so much, Brother Kinley. It's so wonderful to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. And we are so glad to have those who are with us online. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very glad to have our visitors with us, and we appreciate your presence. And uh, we want to always encourage everyone, invite people, invite your friends, your neighbors, your frenemies, and coworkers, family, and that sort of thing. We want to help uh, grow the kingdom of God, and that's what we're talking about in our primarily in our parable series that we're doing in the evenings now, and uh, then we're studying the book of Philippians in the mornings for a period of time, and so we want to turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. We're so very glad to have all of you with us uh, this morning. It's great to be together again, and we hope that you had a good weekend. We want you to know that this church is always here for you. We care for you. We know some things are going on, and uh, health-related and different things and families. We want you to know we love you and this church is here for you. I read about a family who bought a ranch and intended on raising cattle. When their friends visited the ranch, they asked, well, what are you going to name it? And the husband said, well, I wanted to name it the Bar J. My wife favored Susie Q. Our son wanted the Flying W., and our daughter liked the Lazy Y. So we're calling it the Bar J. Susie Q. Flying W. Lazy Y Ranch. The friend paused and just kind of shook his head and said, Well, where's all your cattle? And the husband replied, None of them survived the branding. <laughs> too many brands getting stuck on the rear ends back there. It's too much for the cattle. So that... <laughs> They, they, they weren't very organized. They didn't plan very well. They weren't very united, were they, in, in, uh, in their branding, of the naming of their ranch and their branding. Did you know that the huge redwood trees in California are considered the largest living thing on earth? They can grow up to 300 feet tall. They can be as old as 2,500 years old. These giant redwood, has anybody been there and seen them? I haven't. I would love for us to go sometime. I bet that's amazing to see those in person. A picture can only uh, give you a glimpse of that. But it's interesting that their root system is not deep, like, like tens and even 100 you know, feet deep into the ground like you would think they would be. They're actually not very deep for the size of the tree. But what do you notice there in the pictures of these redwood trees? Instead of being super, super deep and big and strong, which would make sense because of their height and their thickness, they're intertwined, aren't they? And so they have this strength so that when a storm or wind or something, something you know, powerful nature comes, it doesn't just rip them out of the ground. Why? Well, they don't have those deep, you know, strong, powerful root systems way down in the ground, big, thick roots. But they are united and connected, intertwined together in their root system. And that helps them stand united against the storms that come. I think that's pretty amazing how God did that. And that's what Paul is talking about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 that we're looking at 
this morning. We see this big emphasis on unity in the church, just in these five verses. And so let's look at, uh, let's look at chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 5 to get us started on that. And listen for Paul emphasizing unity in the church. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So in verse 1, what is Paul saying when he says, so if there is any? He starts off with that. So if there is any, and he does this at, uh, at least another time, maybe a couple other times in this letter, he sets up there this, this if-then statement. And he says, so if, and it's a rhetorical question he's asking, if there is any, so he's not assuming, he's not saying that there's not uh, uh, encouragement, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy uh, present in the congregation. He knows that there is. But he's, uh, he's using this conditional statement to provoke them to think about what he's about to say. Does that make sense? So he's saying, if there's any of this, and he could put in parentheses, and I know there is, then I want you to do this. And that's what he's about to get to. And, but, what, but he makes it personal because, remember, they're very close to one another. Paul and the Philippian church are very close, a very close, loving relationship. And so in, in verse 2, he says, If you have any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, and I know you do, then make my joy complete. Then do this for me. It's for you, but, but make my joy complete. And then he's going to tell them how to make his joy complete. And he says, this is how the church is supposed to look like. Verse 2, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And you see that all of that is about unity in the church. Every bit of that uh, drips with and communicates unity. Paul is showing us what the Lord's church is supposed to look like as we live and serve together. Now, Let's look at the different phrases that he says here. The phrase the same mind means agreeing together, cherishing uh, the same views, being in harmony with one another, being intent on one purpose. And so naturally we might ask, well, does that mean we have to uh, <clears throat> have the exact same thought on every single absolute thing that is possible to think about? That's not what Paul is saying. In Ephesians 4, 
uh, 1 through 4, he talks about one mind, one faith, or one, one body, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one church, uh, all of that. So it's just agreeing on what it is and uh, the church is about, who Christ is, uh, his church, his word, uh, his faith, all of this kind of thing, faith in him and, and how he would have us to live. This unity of mind. Now, you may disagree on some smaller, insignificant things. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, should we have 15 adult classes or should we have one or two? Or, or all of what color should the carpet be? Or uh, should we do this program or not? Or do we need a deacon over this? You know, any, an, an endless amount of different things that we may have some different opinions on. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the things that matter, those core essentials of Christianity, of our faith. He said, you got to be in harmony together in the church. you got to be of the same mind, agreeing together. And I like this definition, cherishing the same views. Cherishing the same views. Okay? And then he says, having the same love, which means we're united in our love for Jesus. Now let's see what John had to say in a few of his passages about being united in love. 1 John 4:19, uh, John writes, "We love because he first loved loved us." Then he continues to show us how this love for Christ, uh, how it it, it, sh it shows itself, it manifests in a response for one another. Look at verse number 20. If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you see this united in love uh, uh, sense, this uh, having the same love? Now, right before that, in the same chapter, uh, John wrote in 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. I want to remember that he's talking in the plural sense. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. That we are united in this love. We have this same love and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can't get around what Paul, what John, and other passages are saying, and that is having that same love for Christ and one another. Now remember, we talked about how uh, we live out the great commandment to love God and others. Uh, we talked about that because of the gospel. Therefore, we live out the great commandment. And Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? By showing love for one another, right? So then we see this phrase, being in full accord. And that is, those are some less common words that we use today, but it literally means being fellow-souled. Like your soul inside. Being fellow souled. Being fellow minded. One souled. I really like how Paul used that word. It's the only time in the New Testament that that Greek word is used. And he said the church is supposed to be fellow souled. One souled. That's how the church is supposed to be. It means uh, that God's people are supposed to be that united. So here's what Paul is telling us 
on our next slide. Here's, if we want to picture it kind of more visually. He said, I want you to have the same mind, the same love, the same soul, and the same mind. Now, what do you notice there? What do you notice? You don't always pick this up when we're just reading through it, but Paul repeated himself, didn't he? And it's the exact same Greek words, a little bit different in the, in the ending of the word, but it's the exact same word, same mind. He repeats it. Now, why would Paul do that? Well, have you ever said to a child, a spouse, uh, a close loved one, they uh, were leaving, maybe they were, maybe they were here for a visit, or maybe they're going on a trip, and what do you say to them? Bye, I love you. Be safe. Call me when you get there. I love you. That's what Paul is saying. He's repeating something that he wants them to hear again. Does that make sense? If, if your mom tells you, go to the store and get eggs and milk and bread and detergent and dryer sheets and bacon and don't forget the eggs. That she wants you to remember, like maybe you forget the dryer sheets, but don't you come back without those eggs. So know that I love you is another, you know, when somebody repeats that to you. So Paul's saying, I want you to be of the same mind, have the same soul, same mind, and I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to under, get, get this through your head. Hear this that I'm telling you. Be of the same mind. Think the same. Be in harmony with one another. And that's important, that unity that, that Paul is communicating to us. So here's what Paul is doing in this passage. He's clothing the thought of unity over and over again in different words. Why? He's trying to get it through our heads and in our hearts that he wants us united. It really is that, sim that simple. And he's showing us in different words what that looks like and how that plays out in life. Now look at verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, think about this based on what he said right before the, these verses. If I'm of the same mind, having the same love, and being one soul, then I'm not going to do things out of selfish ambition, am I? I'm not going to be self-centered in the church. Why? Because I'm doing what he said in verse 2. I'm practicing that, therefore I'm not coming out of selfish ambition or vain conceit or empty conceit, depending on your translation. So this selfish ambition is sometimes translated rivalry. And Paul has already used this word in this letter in chapter 1, verse 10, when he said, while he was in prison, uh, some preach out of rivalry. Remember he talked about those others who, they, they weren't teaching anything wrong, but their motives were they were trying to elevate their status because taking advantage of the fact that he was in prison, they, he was kind of competition for them, and they were trying to take advantage of the fact that he was locked up. They wanted to elevate themselves. Paul uses that exact same word to say, don't do anything like that. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does he mean by conceit? Look at me. I want the status. I want the spotlight. I want the recognition and the admiration. I want the praise. I want people to know that I did it. That's what he said. Don't do that. That's not how you live and worship and act. 
and serve in the Lord's church. You do it like he described in verse number 2. Both of these things are opposite of the kind of unity that Jesus wants in his church. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? What, what do we do? Because we're not going to agree on every little thing. And, and feelings feel, don't they? Feelings feel, and the more a thing feels, the stronger it feels, the stronger we feel about it, right? And so uh, what do we do? Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't have things that are important to you, that you, there can't be priorities in your mind and on your heart in the Lord's church and maybe in, within an area that you're even over. He doesn't say you can't have things that are important to you, but he is saying you've got to realize other things are important to other people and you've got to keep the harmony and the peace and the unity within the body of Christ. So you can have things that are important to you, but also look to the interests of others. Why? Because in humility, you're counting others better than yourself. You see that? So when I do this, I can't, there can't be any selfish ambition and conceit because we're united with the same mind, the same love, the same soul, and the same purpose. And I won't let anything, that's a commitment we have to make, I won't let anything damage or destroy the unity in the Lord's church. I'm not going to be that guy who's going to do that. So it's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? But what do you think? Are most divisions in the church over doctrinal issues? Is that what causes most divisions in the church? No, it's not. Most of the time, what we get all uptight and mad, angry and frustrated and throw fits about have nothing to do with doctrine, do they? They have to do with my personal preference and my poetical feelings, don't they? Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important. Like I said, our feelings feel, and what matters to us matters to us. But the difference is, am I going to let that, what I think, the way I think it ought to be, am I going to let that cause division in the church? How am I going to deal with that when I don't like a decision that somebody made? But guess what? If you think about this, if you were the one person in charge, you were the decision maker, put yourself in that position in the church. Let's just say hypothetically, you were the one who made all the decisions. All decisions had to come to you. And so you made all the decisions. And you did your very best because it was important to you. And you really tried and you really sincerely do your very best. How long is it going to take before somebody disagrees with you? How long is it going to take? That long, right? <laughs> Why? Because that's called leadership. That comes with the territory. You've done that in your family. You've done that on the job and other situations. When you are the one that has to make a decision, you're the one people don't agree with. They didn't have to make the decision. They got to live with your decision. So somebody's not going to agree. That's just life. That's just the way it is. And there's going to be things we like and things we don't like. Now, again, we're not talking about core doctrinal issues, baptism, you know, things like that. 
the Lord's church. We're not talking about those things because that's not typically what divides. Now, even when it is core doctrinal issues, there's a way you go about addressing that that helps as best you can maintain unity within the Lord's church. Why? Because it ain't about you and you care about the Lord's church. And so you do stand up when something is wrong, doctrinally, biblically. You can point to it right here and say, brothers, we need to talk about this. But we're talking about just when we don't agree, when we have different opinions and all that, we've got to think about how am I going to process that? How am I going to move forward as a member of the Lord's church, as a member of this congregation when I'm faced with those situations? Because guess what? You will, you will face that. I, I will... Everybody will face that if you're involved in ministry in some way. We're rolling out the member involvement uh, plan today, and we're very excited about that. I want to encourage you to get involved, and Matt's going to say some more about that. I want to encourage you to look for ways you can serve if, if uh, you, you're not plugged into a way yet, or maybe there's another way. Maybe you want to make a change in some things. That's all okay. It's an exciting thing. But when you, when you plug in and get involved... Decisions are made when things are done, and we've got to learn to live together. And, uh, and, and I think this is a special place. I love going through a book of the Bible because it, it lets the Bible bring things up. You see how the Bible does that? The text will bring up what it wants us to know. And all we have to do is look at the Word and let the Word speak to us because the Word of God is living and active. All right, so what do you do when you disagree? Look at verse number 5. Paul ends it with this. What do you do when you disagree? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What, wait a second, Paul. I want, I want a blueprint. I want, I want 10 steps of how to convince everybody they're wrong and I'm right. No, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which, was also in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus, depending on your translation. Now look at this. Have this mind among yourselves. Is that singular or plural? So, so it's not just my responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility to have this mind, what he just described in the preceding uh, verses. That's the mind you're supposed to have if you're in Christ. That's the disposition, the attitude, the mindset you're supposed to have as a Christian in the Lord's church. And then he says, uh, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. The NIV puts it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We disagree, and that's going to happen, and that's okay. And, some, and oftentimes it's through the conflict and discussion, the dialogue of disagreement, that you get to the better answer. So disagreement is not bad. Dialogue is good because that's how you probably get to a better idea, a better answer. So Jesus exemplified us, uh, this for us in the verses that are about that he's about to write that we'll look at next week and how he exemplified this example of unity and humility and considering others better than himself. We'll look at that in the rest uh, of the verse, uh, the chapter. So here's what I want to say to us on our next slide is let your life in Jesus be evident in your life in Bullard. Think about that. It's not just private, just me. Let your life in Jesus. That means there's a, plur a plurality. That means there's a public dimension to this. Let your life in Christ 
Be what we just read about, like Paul urges us, encourages us to be, and let that be your life in Bullard. What difference would that make in our community and in our homes if that's how we lived? I know that's how I want to live. And we're going to fall short, and, and that's why we need each other in that unity to help each other grow spiritually. That's how important the fellowship of the Lord's church is. So if we, if we can help you in any way this morning, we want you to know this is a united church. We care about one another. We support one another. We're like those redwood trees where our, our roots are intertwined together. We're not like the cows that had, you know, 10 different brands on them and didn't survive. That don't work. We want to be those redwood trees that stand strong and united, there for one another when the storms hit. Those winds might blow and, and shake those trees a little bit, but they ain't moving because they're connected together. And that's how Jesus wants his church. If we can help you this morning, we love you and we're here for you. If you want to study, if you have prayers, uh, need prayers, uh, maybe you want to talk about putting on Christ in baptism and becoming a Christian. Whatever your need is, we're here for you this morning as we together.